Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. As you'll recall from last week, Dominique and I have been celebrating our one-year anniversary creating these Equosity podcasts. So we invited all of our guests from 2018 to join us for this special event. So we have Hannah Brannigan, Nancy Kelly, Michaela Hempen, Cindy Martin, Mary Concannon, and Jane Jackson. Our subject has been duration. How do you extend the duration in a behavior? What are some of the pitfalls and challenges you might encounter? And what are some good teaching strategies for building longer and longer duration? Since the subject is building duration, it's very fitting that we have extended the conversation into the third week. Jane Jackson ended last week's podcast by stressing the importance of clear criteria. We'll pick up with her concluding statement and then jump into the next question that we had about building duration. Enjoy. Okay, so we back three steps and we can also back six steps, but all of a sudden we're not backing straight anymore, which could be a muscular issue as, as Hannah brought up. Then your criteria is different. And is that important to you? Is it, you know, is what is important keeping your horse entertained so you don't care if it's straight or not? And I know Alex is probably cringing because of course it's important, <laughs> but... Or is it physical exercise that you're trying to build the structure? Is it a mental exercise that you want to make sure the horse understands that straight or the dog understands that straight is important? So defining criteria in building duration, I think, is is a really important piece of it all. So, Nancy, you've been listening in on all of this horse talk with a little bit of dogs thrown in. So since you work primarily with dogs, what are your thoughts so far on what you've been hearing? Well, I loved what Jane was talking about around criteria. I, I want to cement that a little bit more because it is our choice what the criteria we train to is. Just And however we want to measure it is how we measure it. If it's three shovelfuls, it's three shovelfuls. Right. And if you want to cheat yourself and say, well, two is enough, and you just changed your criteria to two. And you're never going to get the wheelbarrow full and be able to leave the arena. Exactly. And so with dogs, I had made some notes on the topic just because I was having fun thinking about it. And what Jane talked about, about the, the service dog, you know, having to lay on the mat half the day, which they do, and being able to get up and move around and lie back down as opposed to an obedient stay that Hannah mentioned in a particular position and you really don't want to move, you just want to stay there and hold yourself, that's all criteria. And we can even define, and we probably should for our own benefit to know if our training is progressing. When the service dog is lying on the mat, he gets up, he stretches, he scratches. How long can he get up? I mean, are we paying attention to how long he's standing as opposed to how long he's laying down? That may seem really nitpicky, but for 
a service dog that's going to be given to a, a handler to use, they might need some, some education in, you know, how long is too long to just stand up on the mat instead of lying down. So it's, it's really criteria is it's almost an artificially applied thing, but we get to choose it. And the closer we keep track of it, I think the better our training is, particularly in a duration situation. Does that make any sense? It does. And you've, you've been able to spend quite a lot of time with Bob Bailey. And, you know, I think Bob is, we would say, is the king of duration. Because some of the things that they were training, when he talks about the open ocean work with the dolphins, where they were sending these dolphins six miles, 12 miles out, or some of the work they did with the, with the pigeons and the ravens, where again, these animals are going incredibly long distances and then returning. The duration is a key element in all of this. And when I've talked to Bob about, well, how do you build duration? He talks about, well, you start by working on getting the behavior really perfect, but in close, uh, you're not, you're not jumping your into long duration right away. You're, you're working on the perfection of the behavior in small distances. Would that be an accurate statement that I'm making about his work as far as you understand it? Absolutely. And duration and distance are two completely different things that we apply at different moments before we ever combine them. So yeah, I like to call it training is in the details because every, I'm sure this must apply to horses because if your dog can't sit right next to you, he can't sit six miles from you. It's, it's just not gonna happen. Right. And then, you know, back to the dog lying down, another thing that the, the Breelands and Baileys did a lot and Bob still does is the military dogs. And well, this relates to the CIA cats that they used to train too, but they train dogs. Okay, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Not everybody knows about the CIA cats. Train cats? So first, right. So first of all, people are going to be going, train cats? Train cats? Can you train cats? And of course you can. But uh, so, so describe what they were doing in brief, because it's really interesting. Yeah. So the CIA cats were trained to move with a voice in their ear they were they had specific equipment so that someone could speak into their ear and tell them you know move forward or, or sometimes it was a tone sometimes it was a voice but there was a cue to keep walking in the direction you're walking there was a cue to turn left a cue to turn right and a cue to sit and just sit there because they had recording devices that they would listen to what was going on around them with and send, you know, transmit that back to a base camp. So these were cats that would walk over to someone and sit down next to them and listen to what they were saying. But it's even more wild than that. So they would drive up to the, in, in the days when you could still drive up close to, say, uh, the airport arrival center, and they would release the cat from the car into the arrival center and direct this cat to go sit this is how i've heard bob describe it go sit near somebody and what is astounding though having watched human behavior is that even though there's this cat in an environment where it shouldn't be people don't didn't see it 
And so this cat. So these cats were precursor to drones. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so they would they would sit near these people who were having a conversation, and because they were wearing this equipment, they you could record whatever was, these people were saying. And, but it and wasn't the, always in a novel area. I mean, sometimes it was in a town setting where the cat would just go over near some people at a cafe too, and yes. this cat wandering the streets. So it, you know, it really would be unnoticeable. Yeah, and then it would sit there for an, a very long period of time until it was directed, until this cat was directed to go elsewhere. So how, how did they begin those approximations? How was that trained? It's, you know, that's all written down and hopefully we'll get that published one day. But it, so the cats were, it's just like you would imagine. It's just like the perfect dog trainer, or I guess horse trainer too, but I mean, they don't really do, are there stays with horses? Sure, absolutely. There's ground time. Yeah, stay on yeah. your mat. All four yeah. on the mats. Yep. Yeah, ground time. Okay. Those cowboy horses. Yeah. Look at all those old cowboy yeah. movies. Yep. You drop the reins and they stand there forever. Yep. yep. You're fixing a fence or whatever right. it is. You've got a job to do and you need your horse to just wait while you, if it's a ranch horse, you know, while you are doing whatever. It's just that it's a stand stay. Yeah, well. Okay, so so yeah, so yeah. what the what these the way they would train these cats basically is it's the same way, but you're you're adding distraction and you're adding the length of time that they have to sit there in little tiny increments, one at a time. So they would put them, they'd be in a laboratory at first in their little crates. People would walk by, people were um were instructed to, you know, walk by and touch the cage or walk by and ignore the cat or, or just very carefully changing the distraction level in the laboratory area. Then they were bit by bit, not, not in a big chunk, but then they were put outside in their little cages on their little mat. And then people would walk by and they still had to hold their position. Then they slowly removed the cage you know, they would leave the door open and so forth. And the cat would be on a mat. They went down to just sitting on a mat. And then before you know it, step by step, they're sitting next to a sidewalk in a city park. And people are walking by and children are bouncing balls and people are riding bicycles. And they're just sitting there until they're told, well, now get up and walk. I mean, it's, it's training is simple. It's not easy. Very tiny baby steps that they succeeded at. And before you know it, they're sitting there for an hour with grasshoppers jumping around them. Yeah. I think it's it's not so much the glass ceiling in terms of the animal's expectation, but there's a glass ceiling in the handler of working through that initial phase where you're on very high rates of reinforcement. For example, and the grown-ups are talking and the horse is brand new to all of this training. You've got treats in your pocket and you are click and treat and then you're click and treat again while the behavior is still good so that you're clicking at such a rate that the horse really doesn't have time to present you with unwanted behavior. And then you begin to slow things down. So when I'm teaching people, the grown-ups, I'll put a piece of duct tape on the back of the handler's hand and their job is to touch that piece of duct tape 
with their um, feeding hand. So they've got the duct tape on their non-feeding hand. They they feed the horse and they have to get their hand back to that duct tape before they can click and treat again. And and at first it's touch the duct tape, click treat, touch the duct tape, click treat, and then it's touch the duct tape a thousand one, click treat, and and it's gradually you build out the duration and it's getting that first experience of going from these really tiny, tiny, tiny units to, oh, I can begin to extend the duration and I can begin to extend it past two or three or four seconds. I can begin to get a really solid chunk of behavior where you see how that works and that you are not falling back on the click as a crutch to keep the behavior from deteriorating. So it's but we we use it like that because we've been punished by I by our our animals when they when they disengage. You know, when you're trying to build duration and your animal tells you bye, you're punished. Yeah. <laughs> As a trainer, so the so and, the click, and so this is why you go back to your crutches. Right. So the click becomes a defensive click. I'm going to click before it can fall apart. Exactly. What right. does Steve White and call the, that? The, the desperation click. Yeah. And you have to have a plan. I, I mean, could you, the thing is that is going to happen. You're there's going to be a mistake. So what are you going to do when you make that mistake of asking that split second? more and you don't get it you you have a plan and you move on so what kinds of plans so when so what are some of the strategies that that you use that various and anyone can feel free to jump in with this so you're building duration and before your animal has met the current criterion he's moved out of the behavior what is the plan and how do you avoid building the inadvertent chain where that becomes part of the final behavior? So what are some of the strategies that people um, use? I often think that what happens when the behavior falls apart like that, you're building duration, it's going nicely, and you keep going as the trainer. So I'm finding increasingly that I train things like even building duration in quite short sessions and mix them up with other behaviors. Just as Cindy was describing earlier, you know, it's like your micro shaping strategy. Yes. That we yes. increase the duration slowly and then say, after maybe three or four attempts where they've succeeded and you have gotten an improvement, then that might just be the time to jump out and take another behavior. So if they are standing, if it's a stationary behavior, then you might counteract the stationary behavior with movement and vice versa. So I wonder if training duration on a single behavior contributes. So you know what I'm finding interesting in that strategy? It reminds me of something Jesus said in one of our webinars last uh, summer, where he was saying, when you raise criteria, so let's say up till now you were asking for three seconds and now you want to go to five seconds. So 
you should have something, change something in the environment that signals to the animal, this is new, this is something else. It's no longer a three second behavior. It's now going to be a five second behavior. So there's a small change happening to signal to the animal and so that the animal is not like, well, what's, what is it? I'm confused. You've been clicking me for three seconds. Why is it five now? Do you want some other behavior or do you want this behavior but longer? So how do I know that it's not the same as everything else you've been clicking for the past five minutes? And so his suggestion is that we should change a little something, maybe our position or maybe use a new prop or whatever. And so what you're, what you're proposing here, when you're changing to the other, the easier behavior, and then you're coming back, well, it's different. It's, we're not in the same segment. So this may help the animal to know that when we go back to the first behavior, it's not going to be the same as it was five minutes ago. Maybe that's one explanation or one way to look at it. Right. Yeah. So what other strategies do people use? If, if the behavior deteriorates for a moment, how do you get back on track? I can't remember who it was that was saying it. I guess it was Hannah was saying it. And what was going through my head at the time was hearing Dr. Susan Friedman talk about behavioral momentum. And that Hannah was saying, if you can't get that fourth step, go for one step, three step, two steps. And you get that behavioral momentum going of, yes, you've raised your rate of reinforcement so that the animal knows he's correct, but he's just sort of so flowing into it that another second step or whatever is the natural thing to do. It's almost like you make it clear that the criteria is going to keep changing like that it's a progression it's very small increments of progression but it's going to keep changing a bit like 300 peck pigeon yep. the expectation is that it's going to keep changing but in small increments as opposed to i'm going to sit here and click you 25 times for three seconds and and i think that comes back to our discussion about criteria and having a plan going in and you say so my plan is that in this session I'm going to solidify standing still for the time it takes me to walk around my horse. But if I'm going to, uh, as opposed to another session where I'm going to park my horse on a mat and I'm going to keep progressing and increasing the amount of time that I'm going to go around my horse, it, it really comes down to the handler, you know, the trainer having a really clear picture of what they're working on as opposed to kind of going, well, I kind of think I'm going to, you know, maybe do a little duration, but oh, well. Uh... Right. It's, you know, that makes me think of a situation that I've, a teaching situation that I was in really recently, working with a horse who's fairly new to mats, and her owner wanted to be able to walk towards her hind end. But every time he started to move towards her hind end, she read that as a cue to back up. And and so she would start to move. And when you're you see a situation like that, you say, okay, this is where the behavior is breaking down. She doesn't understand the difference between 
the rotation of my body that is saying, you can stay put, but I'm just going to rotate and stroke your neck and move towards your hind end, and the rotation of my body when I'm asking for backing. And so I need to pause and not worry about getting to the hind end, but show her through a really tight loop. When I rotate this way, you can stand still, click treat. When I rotate this way, you can stand still, click treat. And that rotation, that expectation that I'm looking for is really small. It's, I just shifted my balance, you didn't move, click treat. And now it becomes really easy to take that base unit of when I turn this way, I can now stroke down your neck, walk towards your hindquarters, walk around your hind end and come up on the other side. And all of the rest of that unfolds really easily once you have that initial piece. So her owner, her handler was struggling because he didn't have that initial piece and she kept moving. I stepped in and taught that initial piece for the two of us, myself and this horse, and I could go back to her hindquarters really quickly. And then when he taught that initial piece, all of a sudden he had a horse who was solid on the mat. So some of it is identifying what is the conflicting cue that this individual may be listening to. The other thing is, and and don't get me wrong on this, but you know, when people first dive into it, and this is at least my experience, duration isn't sexy, especially when you're getting to a little bit more duration beside three seconds, four seconds, seven seconds. You're standing there and, or, you know, your horse is backing away from you. And if you're not busy chipping the shavings out of the frozen pile, if you don't have something else to be doing, then you have to sort of take a moment and be mindful and pay attention to your breathing and your posture and feel the breeze in your hair. And My first exposure to somebody who was deliberately teaching duration was she was actually one of my clients and she would bring her dog to the barn and she was working on a down stay at a distance. So she would put Penny in a down and then walk away and stand there looking at her watch and she was up around the five minute mark and so for five minutes she would stand there looking at her watch and it looked so incredibly boring and I thought I never want to teach duration that way I could never do that I would just I would just become too bored so I think you're you're absolutely right that if that's duration then a lot of us are going to fail at it because we want to do something that's more entertaining for us. Never mind for the animal. So I'm going to ask a silly question here. How do people keep track? What do you do to keep track of duration? Do you count 1,001, 2,002, 3,000? How do you do it? So Hannah how, Hannah, how do you keep track? Because you're in a sport where duration and precision, precision matters. So you need to know. Yeah. So I, I honestly, I, I've actually been thinking about this for a lot. At the early stages, I'm really not counting because I'm really, I'm focusing all of my energy on clicking the moment 
I'm focusing all on my timing. I want to make sure that I'm clicking the exact weight shift that I'm trying to capture. So I have taken all the pressure off of myself for trying to count the split seconds. Once I have a loop where the, and I'm thinking mainly of stationary behaviors, but just flip it around for moving behaviors. I have the click timing down. I have a loop where I'm able to repeat that click timing. So I'm, I'm really, I've got a dog who's landing on the target and sticking. And I have, I have enough time to get in a full click. I don't feel rushed. Then I'll start counting. And I usually, I usually start with the, the alphabet first. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. And that again, that makes it honest. And I'll say that the, the trick that has helped me the most, however I'm counting, is to write on a post-it note what my increments are going to be in advance. Because once I start being del- deliberately trying to build duration, which I, again, I'm, I can't emphasize enough how much more of an effort I put into getting the, getting the clean loop to begin with, and then the duration becomes an afterthought. But once I, once I get there, then it, it is just so tempting to wait for a little bit more and to destroy all of the clean loop that you've just worked on so hard and, and end up clicking again the about to fail moment. So the, the way that I protect myself from that error is I'll write on a post-it note, okay, I'm going to reinforce at, uh, and I'll have usually have an altering, alternating schedule, so easy, hard, easy, hard. Um, so I'll have maybe easy, I'm going to click on C, and then I'm going to click G, and then I'm going to click um, you know, C again, and then I'm going to click L. But I write that down first, and then I count to that, and I click in that moment, almost really focusing on clicking in that moment, and I'm, and I'm deliberately choosing uh, intervals that I'm really confident that my animal is going to be successful at. And that keeps me from, hey, I managed to get to D before he started to, to drop his head and look like he was maybe thinking about taking a step. And then I clicked that because I was afraid we wouldn't, we wouldn't get to F. That calling it in advance has really cleaned up some of the bad habits that, that I had developed. And then from there, after the alphabet, I just go to one Mississippi. And then after, honestly, after about 10 seconds, I have to time it on my phone because I can't pay attention that long. So I love that, Hannah. My way of keeping honest is to pick a number and count backwards from it mm-hmm. because then I can't go greedy. I, can't go <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so I, cause I'm too lazy to, to write it on a post-it and it would probably get lost or covered with dirt and horse snot at my house. So I will pick a number, I'll say seven and I'll count backwards. And what I also find really helpful in that is if I count backwards and it falls apart, at three, then I know that seven was too much and let's dial it down to four and go down from four and then try going down from five and then go down from three and then go down, see if I can work my way back up to seven. So I'll count backwards and that way I'm committed to the number. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. just another variation on it. And I count in finish because it keeps my brain cells flexible. I think that's great talking, uh, counting backwards, uh, not the finish part. I don't, that's a little beyond me, but. <laughs> I, I also count in finish. Yeah. Oh, you do. Yeah, good. Well, obviously I'm, <laughs> my education is incomplete. Yeah, I can do it in Irish. <laughs> now that would be even better. If we're only going to seven, I could probably do French, but. <laughs> I think the animal would walk away from me before I got, uh, because I'd be so focused on trying to remember the numbers that they would completely just be able to get away with anything. But, but counting backwards, I think, is brilliant. So, yes. 
and and it starts out by saying what I have to have is a really good solid base unit and and that I trust that unit so I'm not doing desperation clicks because I if I'm doing desperation clicks then that's a good sign that I need to go have a cup of tea, listen to podcasts like this, and think about the strategies. But if you start out by building a really solid, solid unit that you can trust, that's what you expand. Well, and it's a solid unit the animal can trust. Yes. That's the big deal is that that the animal can trust it. Yeah. Because they want to be right. Let's face it. I mean, we we have so stacked the deck for them to want to work with us and want to perform and and want to deliver that that if we give them a solid unit so if Hannah's dog knows that dropping the head is not part of the behavior then the dog can really hang in there for it. Cindy has given us another great stopping place. In fact, all of our trainers have given us lots of good strategies for building duration. We need to be aware of criteria. We need to build our base unit well. We need to alternate between different types of behavior. And we need to take breaks to prevent fatigue. So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to take a break here and I'll let you count in whatever language you prefer the number of days until next week when we publish part four of our panel discussion on duration. Just a quick reminder, our webinar with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz is coming up in just a couple of days. It's on March 31 at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You still have time to register to get the early bird pricing. We'll be recording the webinar so you can listen to it afterwards, but you need to sign up by Sunday, March 31st, to get the early bird pricing. Just go to equocity.com to register or to learn more about the webinar. And if you are new to these podcasts and you aren't yet familiar with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz, be certain to listen to podcast 50 and 51. You'll hear the audio postcard he sent us from the Art and Science of Animal Training Conference on schedules of reinforcement. This very much relates to our current topic of building duration so I know we're going to have lots more questions for him. And the great thing about webinars is you also get to ask questions. You can always just sit back and just listen to the conversation, or you can jump in and ask Jesus your own questions. The goal of these webinars is to help us all to understand a little bit better the science that underpins all of this training. So I hope you'll join us for the webinar. And in the meantime, I also hope you'll explore some of these strategies for building duration. I know Dominique and I would love to hear about your training discoveries and some of the strategies that you're finding really work well for you. You can drop us a note at equocity.com. And if you have questions about duration and some of the strategies we've been talking about over the last couple weeks, by all means, send us a note. You never know, that might be the subject of our next Equosity podcast. 
So until next week, have fun. <laughs>